Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here at Millstone Pizza in Old Town Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. Okay, so I went to York County Day the other day. Um, and yes, I know I said day twice real quickly there, but... The other day was York County Day. Yes, the other and day. And you went to it. Right. Now, um, and I see already we're, we're presented with an existential question. How do you go to a day? <laughs> How do you go to a day? It was interesting. Um, so I drove down to Columbia, and it was, uh, you know, it started at like 1 o'clock, went out into the evening, and we had all of our representatives there that represent York County and state-level government, right? So it was people in the House, people in the Senate, and... Um, what was going on, there was this like uh, controversy going on, right? Because the House had put together a funding uh, bill for um, infrastructure and transportation. In other words, to pay for all the roads and SCDOT and all that, all that stuff. And they had gotten it to the Senate, and the Senate was uh, filibustering it. So like literally, you know, you've heard these stories, probably seen on TV, like there was somebody over at the Senate like reading out of a comic book or whatever, like <laughs> talking for 12 hours trying to stop this thing from happening. Seriously. Really a filibuster. Yeah, it was good really old a, fashioned a filibuster. Good old fashioned I wonder what they were reading out of. Yeah. I don't know, man. It was like, well, Archie said. Yeah. That <laughs> Mr. Weatherby. <laughs> and what, this is valid because. Yeah, because. Um, so anyway, that was really going on. So, a can lot you of people, get a job as, as a filibuster? Ah, you have. Well, it's called a senator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh, you well, can. there you go. I mean, it's yeah. just be a senator. Because as I have proven on Old Town New World, I can, I can just yeah, I can just BS. Yeah, I can just fill out content all day. <laughs> right. Um, you, you should listen to our archive recordings. It's hours and hours of Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got cut. Yeah, it's just white noise talking. <laughs> White Noise is your rap name. White Noise, yeah. But it's like N-O-I-Z-E. But you can go to sleep to it. You can go to sleep to me talking. And it's just like eight, it's eight full hours. Oh, I'm sorry. I fell asleep there. Uh, but anyway, so they were talk. the whole thing was kind of ended up being about transportation and infrastructure costs. So check this out. The state of South Carolina is the something like third or fourth of all the states in the size of the road system that the state maintains. In the country? In the country. It's because so many roads that <clears throat> could potentially be county or city roads are state roads. And there's all these tiny little roads. I and mean, they might be like one block, but the state has to maintain them, right? Oh, wow. So it's got the, one of the biggest road systems in the country. Yeah, I think we found the problem. Yeah, there you go. There's, <laughs> so that's problem number the one. We, like, where's Texas on this? You know, yeah, the fact right. we're like a contender with like Texas. Exactly. So now, they have a, SEDOT has a $1.2 billion, with a B, $1.2 billion a year budget to maintain and build new roads, right? And everybody, you know, experiences potholes and bad roads. All of our roads are categorized, not all of them, all of our secondary roads, most of our secondary roads are categorized as either fair or poor versus good like or great, you know, in these conditions. All of our secondary. Most of our secondary. Most, most, okay. And now most of our bridges are safe, most, but some are in bad condition. But um, they can't get to these roads because, so, so they have a $1.2 billion budget annually. There's a 
they would have to have another $1.4 billion annually. In other words, they have to double their budget to catch us up because all they're doing is barely maintaining on these roads. But for us to get all of our roads up to good, they would have to double their budget be at $2.5 billion. What are the odds of that being real? Well, it can't happen. There's not right, enough right, money. Right. So it's like, oh, we, we, you know, do we triple our taxes? Do we take it off from education? Like, where does the money come from? You know, so obviously people don't want to vote for more taxes. You know, no politician wants to say, I'm going to raise your taxes, raise your taxes. You know? Star Wars The Force Awakens has made uh, like over a billion dollars. That could alone so, pay for it. Yeah, we problem. could just take, we just take that. JJ, you should dial up on JJ. Yeah. <laughs> JJ, go down to the bank, make a withdrawal. He's like, I was on good times. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I think we got the wrong JJ. I think we got the wrong JJ. <laughs> I am very sorry, JJ. I am, this is very embarrassing. I am sorry I pointed yeah. a gun at you. <laughs> He's like, well, dynamite. Um, you have a positive attitude about yeah. this. Or JJ Abrams, like, dynamite. No. Um, okay, so here, here is the question, I think. If we have an insurmountable problem, um, we can't catch up. We can't double our budget to get all the roads up to good so that we can catch up. And so we have to innovate, right? Well, people seem to be of the mindset that like, okay, well, we gotta get caught up first and then we'll innovate later. But my question is, innovation, what innovation is, is innovation is born out of necessity. We got an insurmountable problem that is a sinkhole. It's getting worse. So you innovate to solve the problem. So what if all these roads, they can't justify paving because nobody, rarely anybody drives on them, yet you have to be equitable so this farmer out in, in the rural country needs to have safe roads too, even though he's the only guy that drives on that road. Right, you know, yeah, yeah. What if we paved those roads with solar roads and, and fed the grid with these solar roads? First of all, you have to explain what a solar road is because I have no idea. I can imagine. So you pave the road with material that you can drive on that actually are solar panels. The entire road generates solar electricity. The whole road. Wow. Yes, incredible. The technology exists. It's there. It's relatively cost effective. But the idea is that we've got to start innovating now to solve insurmountable problems, right? And so how do we introduce, like, what if we were able to get the, all this money we give to higher education, all this money we give to innovating a small business, uh, what, if, what if all the colleges were working on this problem? What if all the small businesses were working on this problem? What if we let go of the problem, like SEDST didn't control it anymore, we opened it up to more of a input kind of thing, and we had the whole state from fifth graders up solving yeah. this problem. I think that's an excellent point. And I think that makes so much sense in that, and like, as we've talked about a million times, how the, the hierarchy of knowledge and skill and stuff is not what it used to be. And it's so much more belongs to everybody. And while as also we have, we have said many times, the culture of mediocrity of everybody sort of yelling, whatever, but at the same time, you do have access to everyone's brain power ever, more so than we've ever had before. And so I- well, Open source models kind of demonstrate that. Right, I mean, right. you know, uh, we use WordPress, the open source technology all the time at Revenflow. I mean, there's thousands of people around the world, tens of thousands of people developing that technology all the time. Why can't there be tens of thousands of people across South Carolina solving the transportation issue? Right, yes, no man is an island. 
calls Paul Simon. Right. Yes. Yeah. If a, it, now, correct. See, you, do you know this? You know the full poem: "No man is an island for whom the bell tolls." Because you know, yeah. I think he says, "Oh, I think he says a clod of dirt falls off of England. England is the lesser for it." Oh, I think he says Ireland? a clod of dirt. Or, I'm sorry, maybe he says Iron Europe. Whatever he says. Anyway, <laughs> same deal. Same okay. deal. Yes, we all we all we all must support each other. We we are ask not for whom the bell tolls or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> We must all support each other. I think I totally blew it when I took us off into a peninsula well, of clods. <laughs> of clods and islands. Clods. <laughs> That's funny that you used the peninsula metaphor when, we're talk when you started with the island metaphor. Dude, your mixed motorcycles are driving me crazy. I know. <laughs> this, is, this is nuts. I like a mix. <laughs> so, the idea is we see this in every sector. You know, my, re my immediate reminder of it was, my recent reminder was going to York County Day. But we see it everywhere. How can we get more people solving what we see as insurmountable problems, but make them solvable problems? Yeah, see, I see what you're saying, of course, in the typical me fashion. I see that in the most grandest form of society. That is obviously how we are intended to operate as beings who exist. Why not have everyone's input? Why not have everyone trying to solve a problem? So, like, I, that works for South Carolina. I think that works for human beings. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, the problem, of course, is how do you do it? I mean, it's easy to sit and say, oh, well, just, just have everybody build a solar road. Well, I mean, how in the world do you pull that off, you know? Well, because I assume it's much more expensive to build a solar road than a traditional blacktop. Well, kind of. So, so here's the thing, like, we don't build them because um, they're expensive, right? And we say, okay, well, it'd be easier to go out and just, you know, pave that rotor, fix the potholes. Yet we fall further and further behind every year. There's this concept called leapfrogging. And I studied this when I uh, was at the John... Sounds F dirty. <laughs> Have you seen the birdcage when they look at the bowls and she's like, are those men playing leapfrog? <laughs> and they're like, whoa, 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 let me hold that bowl. But anyway, um, so we were studying at the John F. Kennedy School. We were studying uh, emerging countries, you know, developing countries, and they they don't have time to go through a 200-year industrial revolution to catch up. There's no time, so they have to leapfrog. Like they have to be introducing technologies that are even better than what we're doing in the West and solving and, and using those to solve their problems. Where like where they don't even have water and infrastructure, they can't like you know, be the 200 years ago England solving that problem. They've got to be the future of the West solving that problem, or the East solving yeah. the problem. You know, so they have to leapfrog and, and solve being behind problems with new future innovations. Right, So, really. So yes, it's more expensive to build a solar road than to pave it, but you're going to pave a road that nobody drives on because you have to because it's equitable. Yeah. Why not pave it with solar panels that will generate energy for the entire state for the next 50 years. I mean, I, I heard um, the Secretary of Transportation say she's planning out to 2040. And I'm like, okay, 2040 is a long time from now. And that's kind of the future. So, like, in that plan, are there any, you know, radical changes? It's like, no, we're planning out 2040 to try to catch up to the way we've done things for the past 50 years. Yeah, as if that will be valid at all at by all. 2040. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it's like you said, the innovation is something that happens whatever sort of like conventions you're trying to catch up with, those are conventions that exist because of someone who at one point 
had a problem right. and they solved it yeah. and therefore they became a, became a convention. And so yeah, the idea is that if you get so far behind where it's clear you're not going to catch up, right. it's time to, to invent your own. Yes, that's when you innovate and that's the definition of innovation. You know, people I think feel like, okay, well we'll catch up, everything will be good, we'll be profitable, we'll be stable, we'll have all of our problems solved and then we'll innovate. You don't innovate when you're sitting on the couch and you're in a when you're sitting on a pile of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't innovate then. You innovate when you're hungry, scrappy, and you have to solve a problem. That's the nature of innovation. Yeah, I think that that's true. Once so going the opposite direction, that's for the individual experience. You know, that's incredibly true. Like if you can't, if, if you're gonna tell yourself, "I'll get caught up" or whatever, that's the same thing as saying, "I won't do anything." Yeah, right. Because you will not get caught up. Like you have to. You have to think the same way you would if you were in that future position that you want to be in. Yeah. Because the news is, when even if you get to that position, your actual like outlook and the things you're doing are going to be identical to the way they are now. Right. And like so, either either you are working and trying, or you're you're not, and you're saying, well, if 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 if, and that that's true for an individual. It's true for it. It just resonates wherever. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so. I, I'm seeing this in my own life. I'm seeing this in my business. I'm seeing it at state level. You know, where I was just at York County Day. I see it when I brush my teeth. I see it when I brush my teeth. When I wake up. You know, in national politics. I mean, we're looking at this presidential election, and I think people are compelled by this notion of doing things radically different, and that's a scary thing. It's for for people on the right. They're scared of you know of Bernie Sanders because he wants to do things radically different. For people on the left, they're terrified of a Donald Trump because he, he, he's going to do things radically different. And so what do you do with that question? The fact that I want, I want us to do things radically different, but you could really blow things up in a bad way if you yeah, yeah. change too fast. I mean, where do we go with that? Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, obviously, I, I, the thing is I always hesitate to say, Things are worse than they've ever been. And I always hesitate to say that because I feel like at every point in human existence, right back to the first caveman who ever tried to like survive the night, he said to himself, things are worse than they've ever been. <laughs> and then like the next day he got up and said, things are worse than they've ever been. So it's, I always hesitate to say that. But you know, having said that, we are obviously at a very transitional state uh, as, a cult, as a global culture, a transitional state. And the, the way forward, no matter how you slice it, 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 it is about change, yeah. and it is about radical change, you know, because there's is. no way to avoid it. And radical change means wearing your hat backwards, it means having cool hair, it means riding a BMX bike. I'm joking. Well, I don't think that's something to joke about. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, radical change means inclusivity, I think is what it really means. And that, you know, takes us back to the idea of why not have more people have input and participate. You know the whole FDR, the New Deal, yeah. where they pretty much had like everybody put to work on building roads and dams and bridges and all kinds of stuff because nobody had work to do. So it's like, well, why not just employ them all in doing the good of the country for the community and then everybody's got work and we all benefit. Why can't we do that again? I don't understand Absolutely. why we can't yeah. do that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, we do, that's a possible place to put investment I mean you when you look at uh, especially downtowns you can always view very directly the periods of uh, 
architectural growth because it's it never any any small town in America you see okay well you know whatever in the uh, the turn of century, obviously, they built a bunch of stuff, and they didn't build anything else until the 80s. Right. Do you know what I mean? And that's sort of how most towns look. Yeah. And um, I don't know what it is, 70s and 80s, we seem to be building a lot of stuff. But, yeah, maybe it's time for another spike in, like, just cre- like architectural sort of investment. So, obviously, well, that's happening, whether we whether well, we decide to at yeah. Millstone right now or not, it's happening. Yeah, it's definitely happening here. I mean, it's exploding here, and it's private sector investment. That's absolutely true. I, I, I'm sorry, I've never realized that until this moment. Like, cause you, you can tell an architecture that's like sort of like pre, uh, or it's like World War II era or before, and then you can tell architecture that's like 60s and forward. And then now I think we're gonna have, and this is not to disparage the design aesthetics of the age, but the sort of like two-tone, like tan and brown buildings right, or whatever. Yeah. Like I, that people are gonna, oh, that was like the early 2000s. I certainly, I certainly hope you wouldn't disparage the design aesthetics of the age. No, I would not do such a thing, sir. As I as I cluck my beard and twirl my mustache. <laughs> well, our mustachioed gentleman who has joined us uh, just now with that comment is, of course, the undeniable, great, late. No, wait a minute. <laughs> Posthumously, uh, Josiah Blevins. R.I.P. Me. <laughs> Okay, so, <laughs> Josiah, before we started this podcast, you were not present. We got into a horrible. My daddy's eye. We got into a horrible fist fight, Chris and I. We we're pulling hair and screaming like we, children. Uh, we had fisticuffs. <laughs> before we started this podcast, we were having an argument about what the podcast should be about. And one idea was the idea of uh, that innovation is something that you have to do now. And, and my example of York County Day that I started a podcast with was my example. It's something that you do to solve the problems when you're up to your neck and, pro- and problem. That's what innovation is. The other argument that we had was about <clears throat> almost access. When something goes from being controlled by a smaller group or held to a smaller group, makes that group cool, makes that group powerful, makes that group rich, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden it blows up into access and input for large amounts of people. Well, we had this genius idea that these are the same topics because the innovation that we need is an explosion of access, whether it's for government or whether it's the internet and we'll do with music or anything like that. So I, said, I said we needed an explosion of fish. And I misheard him to say explosion of access. So we ran from there. And um, so my question is, fish or access, what's your comment on an explosion of? Yeah, um, fish explosions are awful. (laughs) They're just the worst. They leave a lingering smell in the air uh, for months, but access, Access is a great thing. <laughs> I was talking about the rock and roll band Fish. Oh, God. Who, that... are, who are fat with a PH. Uh, no, that would be great if they exploded. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as far as access and innovation, I think that, yeah, you. I mean, it's totally anecdotal, but you see a lot of inspirational stories on the Facebook about people in third world countries who gain access to just like a, a small laptop or something and kind of engineer these things to like 
you know, fix their whole village. Um, there was the guy uh, in India who made the sanitary napkins. Do you know about that? He started, uh, he made like a small machine where um, these like three women could like operate a business. They could buy this machine or have it. He would hire women to operate one machine in one village and they would produce these sanitary napkins for all the other women of the village because um, menses was something that was very like taboo and women were not being afforded all, you know, like the, the standard of sanitation that we're used to in the first world. So not only did he create like jobs, but he, you know, a social and um, I don't know if it's part of their religion or what, but yeah, it's, it, um, so hopefully you edit just all of this story out. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, the idea that you, and that goes back to my innovation idea, like the idea that somebody solves a problem with innovation. Like, it's not like he's going to wait until um, that country's up to first world standards and then he's going to innovate. Like, that's not what innovation is. You know, so, I, so here in the first world, in, in the, you know, in the developed world, in the, when I go to these meetings of, and I hear our, our government officials speak, and, and, and not to any slander them or anything, I mean, just the idea that we all take for granted that like everything's gonna be taken care of by somebody or by the system or something and then you know and then maybe I'll innovate like on a Friday if I got some time in the afternoon. Yeah. Innovation isn't born out of lackadaisical desire to be cool. Innovation is born out of solving real problems for real people. Yeah, that's the death of it. I think complacency or the idea that you are performing within a known system is the death of innovation because innovation is something that happens when you are constantly analyzing, constantly asking questions, constantly looking at the world around you and questioning it. You're not like, okay, well, I need to write a successful series for Netflix now, so let me think of it. Yeah. You, you, do, you do really successful things like that happen because it's part of how you operate in the world when you don't need those things. That you just, it's just the way that your mind, your perspective and the way your mind works. Well, that's interesting. That's actually kind of a, an, an addendum to what I'm saying. I believe, like, I think there's multiple ways that people innovate. One is that people just are wired to innovate, which is kind of like what you're saying. Like, that's the way they operate. They, they always come up with ideas. And... The other way is that you put people in tough situations right. and they will find a way to solve yeah. that problem. So, anecdote. Once again, when I was in elementary school, I had a friend named Randy who was a pathological liar. He lied to me all the time about everything. Wait, wait, is this story true? Yeah. Okay. yeah. You know, I, I was not the liar, Randy was. Is it a friend, quote, hand quotes? Yes, exactly what yeah. you just said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so so crazy old Randy. One time was I was talking, you know, I would say something cool that I thought was interesting, and he would, he would counter with something outlandish that he made up. And I was telling him how there were like, a, um, I think it was, a, or con, there were Converse, there were Converse sneakers that had, you could change the color of the like, the little like check and the star by taking out a little color thingy and uh, a little plastic deal and it would change the color of that star. I and I was telling him, I was like, man, these are the coolest shoes I've ever heard of. And he's like, yeah, well, um, I was at the mall and uh, I got these Converse uh, All-Stars that <clears throat> it's like one color on one side and you take it off and you flip the, you flip the shoe over and it becomes another color. And I was like, that sounds really cool, except for like, wouldn't the bottom of your shoe be the 
top of your shoe at that point? And he like, right there on the spot, he was absolutely lying to me. He made up this product called Never Stick or Everstick. He just said that, he was like, oh, well, it's got something called Everstick where you take the sole off and then you flip the shoe out and you stick it back on. And he just innovated that within his yeah, lie, right then and there. It's the worst idea ever. It's the worst idea ever, but he was forced to, <laughs> to, to innovate and make up some horrible, horrible stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's, okay, that's a good example. You put somebody in a tough situation, they're, they're going to innovate. Yeah, or risk the judgment of their fat elementary school friend, which was he you. Wasn't, which was me. Which he didn't want to. He don't want that, buddy. So you guys were talking about access and to being kind of like the catalyst for innovation, or like the access is the innovation. Okay, what? good question. So we we started out with these two topics. Are we talking about innovation? Or are we talking about access? And then we had this epiphany that. Those two th today in this world, those two, and maybe forever, those two things are the same thing because without access, people don't innovate. So the more access that you give people, the more opportunity they have to innovate. And I started out with my uh, York County example because I was talking about if we want to solve the infrastructure problems in the state of South Carolina, we can't have the same people that are in Congress with the same staff they've been using solve the problem because they've been working at it for 50 years. We can't solve the problem. So it's like, how do we radically change the process by which we address the problem by, by opening access? You know, do we have all of our higher education institutions working on this problem? Do we have people that are unemployed? You can get a check if you come work on, if you fill a pothole, you know what I mean? Like, then we'll give you a check. I mean, how do we create more access to people to help solve this problem, you know? And I think access and innovation are somehow linked at their core. Yeah, see, I think, and this is speaking about a bigger issue, but, like, right now we have this thing where everyone understands because of social media they need to say something. And, like, more often than not, that thing they say is negative because that's the easiest thing to say, but... Sorry, I just downvoted your comment. <laughs> yeah, stupid <laughs> jerk. Um, and because that's, like, the easiest thing to, to do. And my hope is that as we move, make this cultural move where everyone feels the need to voice an opinion or whatever... Thank you. Um, that eventually does evolve into everyone asking themselves, like, what can I contribute? Because right now, when people say, what can I contribute, they mean, what can I say that's horrible? How can I just, how can I, like, be a jerk about this and, and slag it? Um, but, like, yeah, no, hopefully that evolves into everyone in society saying, like, how can I make things better? Because that's, that's, it's the same energy, the same energy it takes to, like, well, not necessarily, I guess, because it's very lazy and easy to say this is horrible. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. my question is, I mean, yeah, is it human nature just to slag on things? It is human nature to go the easiest thing. And when that easiest thing does tend to be negativity. But I think that at the same time, that happens because you, you hear the, the call to do something. And that's what like the internet does. It's like everyone understands that they, they're supposed to say something here. It, it's human nature to do the easiest, laziest thing, which is negativity. Um, but I think that what's important is that we do all feel compelled to do something like you know when Joe Blow opens up Facebook he sees that comment thing and says to himself what do I think and hopefully that evolves into okay well I'm done saying everything is stupid and everyone's stupid like what can I say now right. and that becomes can I contribute or, can or I maybe instead of it evolving because maybe it's more like that there will be channels that open and there already are but channels that open that provide people who are motivated to do positive things uh, places to put that that 
like you said, that human nature to be compelled to contribute in some way. Right. Yeah, because there already are. I mean, you look at open source projects and stuff on the internet. I mean, people are mapping the human brain using thousands and thousands of people across the world, tens of thousands of people across the world that contribute to help map the human brain. Uh, you know, people are, are mapping uni the universe, the galaxies, based on people all over the world contributing in some way. They're even using computers. You can have your computer be part of a network so that at night you leave your computer on and NASA can use your computer for computing power to, to map the galaxy. I mean, that is incredibly positive and incredible. Yeah, and, see, you know? yeah, see, and computers don't feel emotional, so they don't, the computers don't say to themselves like, oh, I'm connected to NASA now. NASA's stupid. I'm, a, I'm offended <laughs> by yeah. your comments towards computers. Right. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, computers. You should be equitable towards computers. But I think that the, the traditional consumer is dead. I don't think that the cons traditional consumer exists anymore, and now we're in the era of the quote-unquote informed consumer. And so hopefully the next evolution is not just the demonic consumer. Hopefully the next evolution <laughs> is the, the, the consumer who's closer to the creator it's sort of like the idea of that, that flat society. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how you monetize that or whatever. Obviously, we're always struggling with that kind of thing. But, but if we don't get blown up by Donald Trump, we do move into a stage where, like I said, the, the traditional consumer has now become the informed consumer, which tends to be negative, And they, can, they, they contribute by saying everything that they're being offered as a consumer sucks. But hopefully, the next evolution is like they contribute to why. You know, because anything now that fails, movies, music, whatever, anything that fails seems to not recognize the consumer's role now. Because the consumer is no longer just gobbling things up. We used to. But, you know, now we, we gobble things up with the mind of like, well, I know how to do this too. That's not true. Right, We've all convinced true. ourselves. We know, we all can, we consume but, things. Oh, I can do that. Yeah, we consume things and we tell ourselves, well, I can do this too. And it gives us this like chip on our shoulder, which isn't true. But it, it hopefully does give way to some kind of legitimacy of like knowledge and skill. Huh. And that's access. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it should lead to innovation. I mean, it has led to innovation. And really the history of the world, I would say access more than anything else has led to innovation. Is that a fair statement, Josiah? Blevins? Moderately fair. Moderately fair. And, and also alcohol. Well, that's true. I mean, from um, reading about uh, Bill Gates, you know, that he had access to computers like from the age of like 13 or 14. Right. So true. he just had like more hours on a computer. Well, so that feeds into what I'm saying. Yeah. So. So that makes it more than moderately fair. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, you can even look at it in the broadest of, like, you know, crystal scope and think about giving people access to written language, you know what I mean? Like, has led to, to the innovations of the human race. I mean, I think access is at the core of innovation, and we have solved that question now, and we are pretty much done. We've solved most of the problems of the world. we solved the problems of the state of South Carolina. We basically realized that access is the key to innovation, and I mean, we're pretty much done. Yeah, and then only we at this table should have access to things. So that's my point. We should <laughs> restrict all access to all things based on the fact that we now know that access is the key, just, and only we know that. I just want to reassure any listeners, gentle listeners of the podcast, 
we are kind and benevolent overlords. <laughs> we are, yes. And our offspring will be as kind as we are. Our grandchildren will rule as kindly as we do. And our great-grandchildren for a millennia. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to wrap us up here on, on our great-great-grandchildren ruling with a firm hand. And uh, I'm going to say I guess I'll see you uh, in a few, uh, in about a hundred years on Old Town New World. Josiah? This is uh, King Josiah signing off.